church. Welcome, neighbors. I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be together with you. Um, we are working through a series that we've called Image, and it's wrestling through that question that gets posed in Psalm 8 that we read together this morning and that, that video uh, dissected. Who is man that you would be mindful of? Him? Who is humanity? What are little, weak human beings that God would pay attention to them at all? Uh, when we look at the world, when we look at um, things that are going on, we think there's probably a couple of things going on that God needs to be paying attention to. Um, and maybe I'm not on the list. Maybe, like, maybe what's going on in my life is not, so, uh, is not so significant. So I have these questions, like I'm not sure, that, like I don't understand why God cares about what happens in my life. And, and so that's really what we've been exploring together um, in this series, Image. And we started it last week, and last week we talked about how the reason God cares is because of his character, it's because of who he is, and the fact that he created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. He created us to be like him. And so we, as humanity, are different from everything else that God made, and that he made us to represent him to the rest of humanity, the rest of creation. And I could go back and go through um, Genesis 1 and 2. I could go back through Romans 1 that we talked about last week. But I won't do that. If you missed it, then I'd encourage you to either check out our podcast um, or if you want to see it on the website or on the YouTube page, our website is uh, ocalaneighborhood.church. So I actually have had to get in the habit of not saying ocalagrace.org anymore, and that's been a lot harder than I expected it to be. But our website is ocalaneighborhood.church, and uh, the sermon from last week is there. And I do encourage you to go back and listen to it if you missed it, because... This series really builds on itself. It starts with some presuppositions. It starts with some, some first fundamental principles. And then we're going to extrapolate those. We're going to start here. And then if this is true, then we're going to build here. We're going to build here. We're going to build here. Um, I suspect that by the time we get to uh, the fourth week and we get into some really personal matters, to be like, why, why does he think he has the, why does God think that he has the authority to tell me how to spend my paycheck? Like, well, actually, it goes back to him making you and everything that exists anyway. So, so I just encourage you, all of these things are supposed to build on each other and are supposed to go together. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about this next step. Uh, if you get the Gazette or you saw the announcement, our, our topic this morning is going to deal with some material that's PG-13, um, just as a heads up uh, that, that's in here. And there's something else, um, there's something else I want to, to, to say as we begin. Who's ever been grocery shopping with a toddler? Uh-huh. And where do you drive the cart if you're grocery shopping with a toddler? Down the middle of the aisle. Why? Because they're going to lean over and they're going to touch all the cans, right? And they're going to try and knock everything over. Um, this morning, we're actually going to trek all the way through Scripture, the whole story of Scripture. And we're going to talk about a lot of issues that really are cans. Some might describe them as cans of worms. I don't think they're worms, but they are, they are uh, big ideas that need some unpacking. But we're going to go down kind of the edge of the aisle, and we're just going to brush our fingertips past a whole bunch of cans that I'm not going to take time to explain. Um, but you're probably going to have questions as we go. You know, why is he saying that? How come that happens? And so as we do that, I want you to know up front, like, that's okay if you have questions, if you don't buy into everything that we're talking about this morning. But because I'm aware that we're doing that and it, on a particular Sunday, 
I'm just going to reserve some time after the service this morning to, for us to ask questions. If you want to ask questions um, for everybody in the room to hear, then that's great. If you want to talk to me personally, um, I think I'm going to go sit on that couch over there um, and we'll have a, a conversation. If you're watching online, you can type your questions in the comments and then Barry will get those to me. Um, or you can just shoot me an email. Our email is still office, O-F-F-I-C-E, office at ocalagrace.org. Haven't changed that yet. Um, so I just anticipate questions. Um, great. Well, let's pause together and let's pray um, before we really dive into what we're talking about this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let me begin with a little bit more in-depth of a recap. Uh, we talked about how God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created for community, and we were created to honor God completely in our relationships and our work. Our work is not actually a result of the fall, like we're supposed to work. That's part of why retire, uh, retirement is so difficult, because part of our inherent um, way that God made us to be is for us to have a job to do. The fall, sin, made work hard, but work as a, as a thing itself was, not, um, was part of the plan from the beginning. So we were created to honor God completely in our relationships and in our work. When God created Adam, it was not good for Adam to be alone. He also created Eve. We were created for relationships, right? And we're made in God's image, made in God's likeness. So when we pray together, our Father in heaven, um, we're, we're pointing back to this truth that God made us to be like him. God is our Father. Father and the Father of all humanity. Um, but have you ever thought about the idea that fatherhood is a temporary construct? Uh, anybody have a teenager? <laughs> anybody been a teenager? Uh, there is an idea of if I have dad and I'm in dad's household, there is, there's a temporary nature of the idea of Fatherhood. I want to leave dad's house. In fact, that was the way God designed it to work from the beginning. Uh, he said, when, when I made Adam and Eve, I made it so that Adam would, would leave his father's household and would cling to his wife. Like That's the natural progression of things. If God is our father, then in the way that we're wired, this metaphor to us feels kind of temporary. Like, yeah, you'll always have, you'll always have a father. He's the, the origin of your being. Um, but you may, like, get to a place where you feel like I've, I've gotten, like, I've grown up now, Dad. Like, you can stop telling me what to do. Stop getting in my business and things like that. And that's actually how the story of Adam and Eve worked, is, is they, God gave them everything, like everything, everything. And then they said, you know what? I think I can do a better job your being God than you can. I'm going to do things on my own. So uh, that's what we call the fall. That's in Genesis chapter 3. And so God says, all right, um, that metaphor uh, may be incomplete. Let me try a different metaphor. 
And you might be thinking, oh, well, did that actually happen? Yeah, that actually happened. I think that that's history. But here's the thing about God. And this is something, this is a principle that I learned early on that really changed how I understood how we learn. And I don't know that you ever thought about this. We have to learn what we don't know using what we do know. God has to teach us what we don't know using something that we do know. Right? If you're going to learn anything from me, I'm going to have to be speaking English because English is a language that we all know and understand. But if I came to you, and even if I had great stuff to teach you, but I taught it to you in Chinese, it's not helpful. I have to use what you know to teach you what you don't know. So when God starts, he says, you're going to really understand a father. Everybody's going to be born. Everybody who's going to be born is going to understand what a father is. So I'm going to use that metaphor to show you what I am like. Then he says, okay, this, like, that fatherhood thing is temporary. Let me, let me explain myself in another metaphor. And he begins being active in history. He says, I'm not, I'm not just going to be a father. I'm going to be a suave devonaire. I'm going to go find a wife. And I'm going to show my covenant love, my covenant loyalty to my bride. And the way he does this in history is he comes to a, a guy named Abram, who was just, you know, run-of-the-mill average pagan, worshiping all of these idols and things like that. And he comes and introduces himself. He says, I know that you've been worshiping all these little I icons and all these little idols, but those aren't real. Like, I'm the real God, and you should follow me. And Abram's like, cool. And God says, all right, so I'm going to make you a nation. Like, you actually don't have any kids, but I'm going to make you a great nation. Um, and Abram's like, cool, I guess, I guess that'll work. So as Abram's family grows, it grows and grows and grows and grows. And through a series of circumstances that I'd love to talk with you about but don't have time to do this morning, that his family ends up living in the land of Egypt, and they become the slave class of the Egyptian, the Egyptian culture. So they live in the land uh, of Goshen. They're shepherds. They kind of get mistreated. And they begin to, be getting to, uh, begin to be taken advantage of. So God, creator of all the universe, who's aware of all the people across all of everything in the world, says, I'm going to become a husband to somebody. And the people that he chooses are slaves. They're not people in authority. They're not people in power. They're not people who have any strength in and of themselves. He says, I'm going to choose a people for myself. I'm going to go and betroth myself to them. If they will have me, then I will betroth myself to them and I will become their husband. And we call those people the nation of Israel. All right? So we're going to begin our text, in, uh, begin looking at the text in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you're using one of these blue Bibles, I'm going to be reading from page 191. And the blue Bibles will be tucked under your chairs uh, in, in, in here. So navigate with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I want you to see how God talks about these people, um, how he talks about the people that he set aside to be his bride, uh, the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord, Yahweh, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were any more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. 
But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall, therefore, be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. I'm going to pause there. So... God wooed a bride. He found a people and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a special relationship with you. I'm going to make a covenant relationship with you. You're going to, like, I'm already Lord of the universe, but there is no nation on earth that has a special relationship with the Creator, and I'm going to make you guys that. Okay? Like, I want a special covenant with you. He says, you are a holy people. To the Lord Yahweh your God. So holy um, is a church word, and we might not think about it too, too much. But the word itself actually just means set apart. Holy means set apart. It's something that's distinguished. Um, it's something that's exclusive. And the fastest way I can communicate the idea of holiness is with toothbrushes. So you have a toothbrush on your sink, uh, on your bathroom. That toothbrush probably has a specific color to every other toothbrush in the house, Right? Right? Or is it just us? I have a really hard time keeping track of my kids' toothbrushes. But anyway, because these, these tools are supposed to be holy. They're supposed to be designated for a specific purpose. Your toothbrush is holy. It is set apart for your teeth. And it is separate from the toothbrush that you keep under the sink in the kitchen, which is separated for an unclean purpose of scrubbing the grout. Right? That's, that's the idea of what holiness is. God says you're a holy people. He just means I'm setting you apart from everything else. I'm making a special relationship with you from everything else. Because I am creator of the universe and I am unlike everything that I have created. But you are made like me, humanity. I am now going to take a, a portion of you and I'm going to make a special, I'm going to set you apart and make a special relationship with you. And I'm asking you, will you be exclusive to me? I know that there are lots of religious ideas out in the world and out in the culture that you're dealing with. But I want you to, to, to ignore the different religious ideas and I want you to just worship me. Will you be exclusive to me? In fact, we started in Deuteronomy chapter 7. We started in verse 6, but the first five verses of this chapter are how about when God brings the nation of Israel into a land, they're supposed to kill everybody who's living there in order to make sure that they're not betrayed or in order to make sure that they're not uh, tempted to follow other so-called gods. He says, I need you to go and get rid of those people so that you will be exclusive to me. I'm making a marriage relationship with you. Does that, does that make sense? Are we tracking? He says, you're treasured and loved. And I don't love you because you're the greatest nation on earth. Like, like you guys are slaves. You guys, you guys don't have any power over what your day job is. You just go where you're told to go, and you do what you're told to do. It's not because y'all were special or powerful. Not because you had the best army in the world. I just love you. And I promised to your father, Abe, that I was going to make a great nation out of him, and that I was going to bless the rest of the world through the relationship that I have with you. And so I'm going to make you guys a special people for myself. Um, in verses 
9 through 10, he's actually, quoting, uh, he's actually quoting something he has already said about himself. So when you see Lord, L-O-R-D, in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament that are all caps, that's a sign that there's something that's happening in the Hebrew. Um, and the original language in the Hebrew, L-O-R-D, actually is a transliteration of, well, anyway... It's the name of God. It's the personal name of God. That's why sometimes when I read Lord, the Lord, I'll add Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, because that's God's personal name. Um, You you may know other gods. For them in their world, there were other gods that were named Baal or other things like that. But for for him, like God says, my name is Yahweh. And the way that you will know me is that in um, verse 9, Know therefore the Lord your God, Yahweh is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He's actually saying something again that he has said before that is actually the verse in the Bible that the Bible quotes quotes the most often. So he's quoting from Exodus chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7 where God explains, this is my name and this is what it means, like this is who I am, and the Bible is going to over and over again quote that. And in fact, there's another church that um, we're connected with in Bath, Ohio that just started a whole sermon series a couple weeks ago on this idea and exploring these verses alone. So if that's an interesting idea to you, I'd encourage you to look for Grace Church Bath Campus in Bath, Ohio, and the sermon title that I think is is particularly interesting in this series is called God Has a Name. So if you want to look that up, then I'd encourage you to do that. He's a much better communicator than I am. The bottom line is God says, I will be faithful. I'm asking you to be exclusive. It is in my character to be faithful to you. And the story of the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures is how the nation of Israel chose to worship other gods. They said, yeah, I know God brought, me, brought us out of Israel. I know that God, or God brought us out of Egypt. I know that God has delivered us and provided for us, literally provided food and the clothes on our back and the sandals on our feet, and yet I'm still going to try to worship other gods. And God considered that adultery. He considered that marital unfaithfulness. And the big idea for us this morning is that God rightly refuses to share his bride. God rightly refuses to share his bride. The people, when they looked, they were like, okay, well, this is just religion. This is just things that happen. Like, it doesn't matter what I do as long as, like, the rain falls, right? As long as I get a good harvest, it doesn't matter whether I worship Yahweh or whether I worship the balls, right? And God says, no, I'm the only one. I'm asking you to be exclusive to me. And if you choose to worship other things, then you are being unfaithful. It's considered adultery. He considers it adultery. And God rightly refuses to share his bride. So my question as we begin, uh, or as we look at this idea, as we begin to ponder this idea, is what gods of our day compete for our loyalty to Yahweh? What gods of our day compete for our loyalty with Yahweh? Because I'm pretty sure nobody's like, got a strong affection to Baal this morning. If I showed you a picture of the idols of Baal, you wouldn't even have, like, you wouldn't even recognize them. Or Molech. Like, these, those gods are long dead. People don't worship those gods anymore. What are the gods of our day that people worship that vie for our loyalty to Yahweh?
I heard money. <laughs> um, I think I'm hesitant to give you a list. If I give you a list, you're like, oh, well, I don't actually, I, I don't worship those things. Like, it's fine. Um, but when I ask the question, my suspicion is this, because I trust that God's working in the room, wherever you are, that when I ask the question, there's something that comes to mind. What are the gods of our day that compete for our loyalty to Yahweh? And I think it's helpful to identify those. Because God rightly refuses to share his bride. She was unfaithful to him. The nation of Israel was unfaithful to God. God considered that um, adultery, considered that unfaithfulness in the marriage covenant. And God allowed Israel to be taken advantage of. So we're going to turn in the Bibles to a book called Hosea. If you look with me at Hosea chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from page 944 in the Blue Bibles, 944. Hosea chapter 2. And the whole first section of Hosea 2, the whole first couple of verses, is all about how God allowed Israel to be taken advantage of. This book of Hosea, this is one of those, I really wish we could spend more time here um, this morning. Hosea is the name of a prophet, somebody that God chose to speak his words to the people. But God did something really particular with Hosea to try to communicate how serious God was about his relationship. God said, Hosea, I want you to marry a woman who is going to cheat on you. And as she cheats on you, I'm going to give you instructions about how you should interact with her, how you should interact with the people she's sleeping with, how you should interact with the children that are born to you, and you're not sure whether or not they're there. Hosea, you're a holy, God, or a holy guy, you're a dude who's doing the right thing, and I want you to please go marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful. And through what's going on in your life, I'm going to try to teach the nation of Israel what's going on. So, in the first verses of chapter 2, God is highlighting how Israel has been unfaithful and how um, God let her be taken advantage of. And I'm not going to go into all of that because I really want to zero in on verse 14. God says, God says, metaphorically, the woman dressed herself up and, and went out for a night on the town to go and sleep around. But in verse 14, even though she forgot me, verse 14, behold, therefore behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will, no, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord, Yahweh. Israel rejected Yahweh as the only God. She was unfaithful to him. And yet, 
God's desire was for faithfulness of both parties. He says, look, I'm faithful. And I want to woo you back. This is actually hundreds, thousands of years from the time where they left Egypt. Now, thousands of years after that, he's sending this prophet Hosea to say, I'm going to, take, I'm going to treat you like I did back when, back when we were engaged. Remember when you were wandering in the, Israel, in, the, in the wilderness and I was providing for you all of the food that you were eating and the clothes that were on your back and the sandals that were on your feet? Remember when I was taking care of you and showing you how faithful and how rich towards you I was going to be? I'm going to woo you the same way I did then because I want for both of us to be faithful. And I'm going to show you a couple of other things in the Hebrew that are really interesting here. He says, I will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. Accor, um, what ha- uh, won't go into the story of what happened in that valley, but that valley is named the valley of trouble. I'm going to make the valley of trouble a door of hope for you. I'm going to take the things that you did, which were indicators of how you were going to be unfaithfulness to you, I'm going to turn those from stumbling blocks into doors of hope. And he says, in that day, you will call me my husband. You're not going to call on the Baals. And there's something that's really neat that's happening in the language here. I just want to take the time to show you. Um, The way Hebrew works, they embed their meaning in the consonants of the word. All right? So in the consonants of the word. Every word in Hebrew, like its its meaning is, is, is embedded in the consonants. The vowels don't matter very much. And so the word for husband has the same consonants as the word for Baal in Hebrew. You're like, I don't get it. Well, look, if we just, if, if we, um, just used consonants, what word is this? B-R-K. It could be bark. It could be break. Or it could be a different kind of break. So I'm either breaking something, I'm breaking as in stopping, or I'm barking. The vowels, depending on how you fill the vowels, that's what shapes our meaning, but for them. Uh, so what God is saying is, I'm going to change your vowels. <laughs> you're not going to call on the balls anymore. You're going to call on your husband. I'm faithful to you, and I'm going to bring you back to me. We're going to restore this relationship. I want for all of us to be faithful to one another. And the restoration of this relationship is going to have effects for the rest of creation. Did you see that? In verse 18, I'll make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. Genesis chapter 1, right? All of creation is going to be restored because my relationship with, the, with my people is restored. We tend to think that religious things don't have any impact on the world at all. I t- we tend to like segment stuff off and be like, well, what I do on Sunday, like, I might feel better on Monday or Tuesday, but it doesn't really affect how I live. God is saying, look, your covenant faithfulness to me is going to affect the birds and the creatures in the sea. Like the whole of creation wants for you to do what's right with God. Pain, shame, and brokenness are the natural result of rejecting God's design. And we saw that um, back in Romans 1 last week. God allows us to experience pain, shame, and brokenness, not because that's where he wants us to stay, but in order to encourage us to be restored back to him. And I think sometimes we assume that God won't or can't restore us. Do we assume that God can't restore us? 
we're pretty comfortable with God being a forgiving God. Like, we're like yeah, yeah, of course, God's forgiving. He's loving. Like, I get all that. But, but I did some really bad stuff. Like, I, God can't forgive me. Like, he could forgive everybody in the creation, but, but could God forgive me? And what I want you to see in these verses, that for the nation of Israel, for sure, but we're going to see also for us that God's desire is for restoration of that relationship. Because God rightly refuses to share his bride. Let's look at one more passage together. Ephesians chapter 5. It's on page 1220 if you're using these blue Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. And this is, we've been talking about some ancient history. We talked about um, (laughs) Israel coming out of Egypt and thousands of years later the prophet Hosea speaking to them. And now we've moved through and skipped over the life of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, his promise to return, his commissioning of the church. And now we're in the Christian scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 22. There's some things here that... uh, Let me read it and then I'll tell you what I want you to see. How's that? There are things that you will see that we're not going to talk about, but I want you, there's things I want you to see. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he... <clears throat> That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So... As we're looking at this, we've seen uh, the picture of unfaithfulness in Israel, and we've seen how that breaks God's heart. But now we see that as Christ, what Christ is doing on the earth is washing a bride. It's in the context here where Paul is trying to explain to husbands and wives how they should relate to one another in their marriage. But he says how we relate to one another matters because what we do communicates something about what Jesus is doing in the earth. The mystery of the image of marriage that's enacted on the planet actually points to what Christ is doing with the church. Jesus cares about what we believe about marriage. Because he's using that to explain to us what he's doing with us. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church.
He's washing. He's cleansing the church. He's setting her apart. He's making her holy. He's making an exclusive relationship here. He's made a covenant with her in his own blood. That's an expensive wedding ring. And we are the bride of Christ. Dudes, it's hard to think about. That's how God describes us. He says, y'all are my bride. I'm in a special relationship with you. And I want you to understand. I want you to be faithful to me because God rightly refuses to share his bride. He's actively working in the world to make sure that she's clean and ready for the day of the marriage, which happens at the conclusion of all of history for us, the beginning of eternity. So will we trust Jesus to make us clean? There's times where... I feel compelled to tell people, like, oh, no, that's actually a sin. But usually, I think most of us know the things that separate us from God. So I don't feel like I need to tell you that. I feel like you probably already know. But what I want to remind us, because we are so quick to forget, myself included, that Jesus wants to make us clean. Will we trust Jesus to make us clean? If if you've never trusted Jesus for anything at all, like understand that He washes all of our sin away. And His mechanism for uh, accountability and, 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 and continual washing is, is celebrating communion together in a community. It's why we wash one another's feet. We are accountable to one another. We work together with one another to overcome the sin that we walk through. You say, well, that's not Jesus. That's, that's people. Like, no, this is Christ's body. We are the bride of Christ. We are Christ's body. And he leaves us to be accountable to one another. Will we trust Jesus to make us clean? Will we trust Jesus to use us to make our neighbor clean? Because God rightly refuses to share his bride. Would you pray together with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you use pictures we can understand. You use things that we know to teach us things that we don't know. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us grace and discernment and wisdom as we try to understand how it is to apply what we've seen in your word. We see your great grace and your great desire to restore. And, Lord, we want to move towards you. We want to trust you to make us clean, to forgive all of our sin. And we thank you for surrounding us with a a faith family that's willing to walk with us through the dirt of life, to continue to point one another to a bridegroom, continue to point each other to you that you have made a way, that you are making a way, and that you will be the ultimate way for all of eternity.
God, I ask that you would work on our hearts. In these quiet moments, show us what our next steps are. Help us to clarify the questions that we have. And lead us into your truth. We be ready on the day that you return to take us home. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.